Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to it. And joining me in the studio, you might have heard me talking last night when I was hanging out with Southern Wood. Is that what he goes by now? Yeah, he has many names. He's been called 84. At one point in his life, Clay Sharp, his real name, Uh, his Christian name, he was called The Hammer. Apparently, he was the enforcer. That was his Christian name, The Hammer? Or no, that was his basketball (laughs) enforcer name. But we have, as some have called him, the amazing Kresnak on these airwaves. Oh, I'm not amazing, but, you know, I appreciate it. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Joey? I'm great, and it's cool, like... You know, I've slowly but surely started to come out of my shell. I'm naturally a recluse, keep to myself. And Does the yoga. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't seen you since your hair was like eight inches shorter. Right. My so, hair has grown a lot. It has. But you're one of the first people I started, for whatever reason, maybe it's because you're conversational, you have a kind face, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, we kind of opened up, hit it off, uh, just hanging out around here well, on Well, you know, I... I I um I gravitate to cool people. Well, and you're is. and you know not just you, but everybody at this radio station has always been cool. And when I was working here, it was the best. Well, but so. you went on to greener pastures, and you're loving your new job. Oh yeah, which is my, awesome. yeah, yeah. It's uh you know I I love my time here. Um, I love my time at my new place. Um, I, I really like it. My boss is really cool. Not that my boss wasn't cool here. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I had many hats here, and I, I hold many hats over there. And um, this was a great stomp, uh, stepping stone for my next um, adventure in life. That's awesome. And, I mean, you're saying off air, and it is such a radio. is such a crazy business. I had somebody say to me the other night, you must be dealing with a lot of big egos every day. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, including my own. But well, it is. There's a lot of personality in this business and yeah. a lot of... It, you got to... Not necessarily tread lightly isn't the word, but you do have to realize you got to roll with the punches, I think, the best way to put you it. You do. And, uh, and I, I think I told you earlier, I mean, I did write some stuff down because, you know, Sometimes you have a, a political agenda or, no, or you have a v- movie agenda or anything like that. But one of the things I told you earlier when we were talking was, um, you know, the people here were great when I was working here because every single one of them probably had about 15 different personalities. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. No, and that's, it's amazing. It, like I said, it's a weird industry because it's all kind of based on personality. There are people working behind the scenes, and yeah. you were one of them uh, when you were here, but all the on-air talent has just so many sides to them, like you said. Because you guys hold, I mean, like uh, the people that make sure that you guys get on the air, and the people that oh, yeah. make sure that the advertisers get on there. Everybody has their own parts, and the you know what they don't realize is that the people on air, they have the many parts, too, because, I mean, oh, yes. you produce... You run other shows. You make sure that everything's in the computer to make sure mm-hmm. it's ready for Dan's show. Exactly. I mean, you're here for, I mean, what? Well, it's I, an eight-hour day yeah. normally. Sometimes it's a 10-hour day. Yeah, but, I mean, a lot of times, we're, you know, Greg has a little break in the middle. Um, right. a lot of, and, you know, I always, you know, the slackers only have the three-hour job. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate goal is get a three-hour show with all sorts of advertisers and make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. I mean, and it's no surprise. I've, I've kind of told everybody that where I'm hoping to go, but who knows what's in the future. Um, because, but I'm trying to figure out how do I take what I'm passionate about, what, well, I'm passionate about and love, but also what yeah. pisses me off, um, and, like, make it work for me. Yeah. Well, and you can't really get too pissed off here in the South. No. Because you got, because, you, you know, we were can't talking. Be rude. You can't be rude. You, you, <laughs> you, you can be a gentleman and do it, but if, if, you, if you don't follow along the, that, that line and you step off a little bit, you can get a little bit How of How long backlash. have you been down in the South, living, living down here? Um... Oh, wow. You know what? We came down. My son just turned 10, and we were living in Ohio when he was born. Um, we got down here like three or four months after he was born. Okay. So I, it's been 10 years. Wow. So, so do you feel my, like a Southerner yet? Um, 
I'm still. Oh, I think the southern term for me is a damn Yankee because I won't leave. <laughs> but um, no, I, I I don't. I do when I talk to my friends up north. I do when I hang out with people up north. Okay. Because you know, my my political views, I st- I still feel like they're the same. But I feel that um, I'm much more conservative. Right. Um, but for the conservatives down here. I'm much more on the other side. Welcome so. to my world <laughs> is the token libertarian on there. Um, I try to call him like I see it. Uh, but it's also, it, it makes sense now that I became friendly with you in the sense that most of my friends I've made around Montgomery since I came back from Auburn and got done with college. Yeah. I have my old buddies. I'm living with two of them. I, I've known since third grade. Yeah. But... Folks that I made good friends with after moving back to Montgomery, without seeking it out, have all been from other parts of the country. Yeah. Whether it's Texas, Los Angeles, Connecticut, like Pittsburgh. It, mm-hmm. There's something, maybe it's because a whole half of my family is this Air Force brat from New Jersey. I'm a military brat, so yeah. There, there it is. And it's interesting, too, how... Different parts of the country. I had a roommate, my good friend Andrew, described this to me. He went to finish college up in West Virginia. I think mm-hmm. Shepherd. It's like right near D.C. It's that very historic part of the country. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, Joey, you don't... And maybe I do need to go on a new adventure, go find myself somewhere other part of the country. Because he said the conversation in the room is the way he put it. The way people sort of assume certain things yeah. and assume certain standards, you will stick out like a sore thumb when you first go to any other part of the country. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty chill, pretty relaxed. I still get people around here going, so where are you from? I'm like, here. Yeah. Oh, really? How's that? You know, I get that asset all the time. Oh, how how is it down there? What do they say about blah, blah, blah? And I'm oh, like, all right. uh, you know, it's not that bad. Actually, I, I want to address the elephant in the room because I found this with having friends from up north, okay. from different parts of the country, especially like places like Lily White, Connecticut, the nutmeg state, <laughs> um, is I have heard, I'm just being honest here, folks, 10-eared racial comments more from my friends up north than from my southern friends. I'm not saying that... It generalities always get you in trouble. I'm just saying, in my own experience, yeah. folks who are born and raised here kind of get it, yeah, and get the sensitivities. Folks that I've met from other parts of the country, it's more like a punchline of the joke. Well, and, and, and I, I totally agree with you. To where when I first moved down here, it's more in your face. Up mm-hmm. north, it's like oh, they joke about it on the side, but down here, it's in your face. But it's in your face from both sides, right? To where I, you know, when when you come when you first get down here, uh, and it's know, generational too. It, it is, it is. But um, I mean, the young, I mean, my brother, the younger generation, he lives in uh, Northern Kentucky. Um, he says stuff that I would never ever say. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and, and you know he's uh, you know fifteen, you know he he's quite a few years younger than me. But it's it's like I would never, you know, joking about it or anything. I wouldn't even do that. And they're you know. The younger generation just just says whatever they want. But I've learned to uh, accept criticisms of my dear native soil. I kind of find it fun. <laughs> or it's like, man, like I'm, I'm gotten really big into wrestling. I think since we last really yeah. talked, like real. Well, big you into talk that. about it all the time. You post about it on Facebook. Yeah, I just I don't know why I enjoy it so much. It might just be because it's. Because it's not, uh, it's like fake contentiousness. No, it's, it's, your, it's, it's the male soap opera. Yes. It's the male soap opera to where it's like, you know what? I could put it on. I don't have to pay attention. I don't have to think. Because right. you have a good guy and a bad guy. Well, and the, I watched what was uh, called the roast of Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard was well known on camera mm-hmm. uh, for being, brother love, I love you, but I don't like you. And he was a big heel bad guy. Yeah. And during this roast, they're like, man, Bruce, when you were brother love, you were really over, really over in Alabama because you know how much they love brother love down there. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that could work in Alabama or Utah. Uh, <laughs> that could work very well. And it's just a matter of, uh, I, I'm learning as I get older, occasionally you got to step on people's toes and like yeah grow a thicker skin i mean some of the yahoos who call up all upset are not the people who are most people who are listening yeah and luckily i don't piss off people too much well and um i always uh you know talking with uh rick peters and all that all the time when i was here to where you know hey this is show business (laughs) right and um one thing that i remember from watching um private parts 
was. I love that. Movie. To where you know when he goes to DC and they're they're going over the ratings, they're like, oh yeah, the average person listens thirty minutes. The average person that hates Howard listens for three hours. Right. <laughs> no, and they're it's because they're they're jumping on every little thing that they say. Well, and I think this is actually the key to why I'm loving wrestling so much is the psychology of wrestling has taught me the more I get into it, like how does this business actually work? And I'm still yeah. an idiot compared to the person actually in the business. But it's maybe watch what's on our television screens right now, like cable news. Yeah. It's maybe think about political rhetoric in a different way and that and also the radio business. That it's one thing, like I could wear a bandana and I could put my ponytail up off the top of my head, have it cascading down and people around here would just not like me. Well, were you, you were here when I shaved my head into a mohawk, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I got yelled at for that. I didn't get, I'm sorry. I didn't get yelled at. I got instructed to get that corrected. <laughs> but th- that's just cheap heat. But, it, like, there's an art to really making people angry in a way that they stay angry at you and so rather like, than just walking away. So, like, driving around in your convertible yeah. with, with your do-rag, but it's not a do-rag. It's a headband. It, yeah, it's a headband. Riding around with that, just just <laughs> doing what you want to do. Exactly, and no, and I've learned. Like I'm in a way because I'm such a recluse, I've become a little oblivious to those social cues because yeah. I don't care at the end of the day. I, I mean, I do. I don't want people to think the the worst thing about me. Yeah. But it, it's certain, it's like, oh, I don't like that shirt he's wearing. Well, get over it. But it's not like I'm telling anybody. To I, go I mean, to hell. The, the big. I mean, I just turned forty three this year. So, um, are you happy? Am I happy? Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. There you go. I mean, there are things I need to work on. Yeah, well, we all have our work-ons. Yeah. We all have our work-ons. We all have our, you know, wish we could do this or wish we could do that. But, you know, as long as you're happy, that ulti- that's the ultimate goal, right? You know? Right. I mean, it's a, the new year is a good time to talk about this stuff because everybody's doing their resolutions. For me, it wasn't like a clear resolution. I already messed up on my New Year's Oh, what was your... To stop flipping people off when I drive. <laughs> <laughs> that so you actually that, go to the hand last, motion. I, I I go up, but now I keep it lower to where <laughs> nobody can see it in the windows. My go-to when I have road rage, <laughs> especially if somebody's going real slow, yeah. way under the speed limit, and I don't think they can hear me. Maybe they can with the convertible top <laughs> down. Is drive, drive your car, hit the pedal. <laughs> like, I, my, my driving instructor in um, in high school was like, just give them the claw, and they're like, what? And they just go, oh. oh. <laughs> Roman points, yeah, thing. There you go. Uh, but let's uh, let's see who this is. This is what how I do it on the show. Okay, just secret door. Free falling. Yeah, yeah. New stock, you're on there. Who's this? You just free basing it. Oh free yeah. Man. Oh, I love this. <laughs> Talk about a guy who knows how to get pe- under people's skin. Uh oh. You're great. Good question, at it. man. You're Mr. Wrestling here. Mm-hmm. Did you watch last night the eulogy uh, for Mean Gene? I've not caught it yet, actually. Oh, uh, you got it recorded, huh? There was that national championship thing. I had other plans. Or, no. Or oh, really? Good. So. Yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. Mean Gene Ogreland. I mean, he is synonymous with Hulk Hogan and also this yeah. guy. He's synonymous with Hulk Hogan. Limousine driving, skirt chasing, <laughs> champagne tasting. Woo! <laughs> I love that. Sk- skirt chasing, Rolex wearing. Woo! I spent more money on spilt liquor this year than you did on your house. <laughs> I'll tell you another. You should talk some good smack. Hey, Jerry, what, what do you do for a living? It doesn't matter. Oh, The Rock. Yep. You ain't lying, you jabroni. No, I've been following The Rock a lot lately, not outside of any wrestling interests, because that guy is just a constant inspiration. Yeah. And it's also like, how do you eat all that grilled chicken and rice, man? <laughs> that must be miserable. Well, it's like he travels around with like a $40,000 gym. Yeah, it's like go. in the contract wherever he goes. Personal yeah. trainer, yeah. But then, I mean, I think he's his own personal trainer. Yeah. He's pretty fit. But I um, ask a question, Joey. You know you're wrestling, right? Yeah. What do you remember when Cact, what was it a Cactus Jack? Yeah, Mick Foley. Mick Foley, and then I loved the character he did, Dude Love. Yes. <laughs> you know where that that came from is I mean, like, what, what, did he have split personality for a while? He was wrestling under no, both no. Here's the, here's the story. For years, uh, people were trying to get Vince McMahon 
to hire Mick Foley because Mick Foley become this like hardcore legend. He's hardcore, man. But, then, in his back. but when he was in ECW where they would do the real hardcore stuff, Mick right. Foley would play with the audience and would just do a headlock for 20 minutes. Yeah. Go, you want hardcore? I'm not giving you hardcore. But Vince McMahon is kind of hell-bent on his vision. He likes a certain look and he didn't really like the over-the-top extreme wrestling. So I think there was one time where they almost met at an airport, Mick Foley and Vince McMahon, and Vince kind of disappeared and he's like, oh, you just missed Mick Foley. And he said, oh, I don't think I ever want to meet him. <laughs> and so <laughs> finally, because, because Mick Foley wrestling his Cactus Jack at ECW and WCW was so over with the audience. It just, he really was brilliant. Great in ring, great promos. Yeah. Uh, he was, they finally convinced Vic, Vince McMahon to hire him into then WWF. Okay. And Vince McMahon said, fine, I'll bring him in. I'm covering his face. <laughs> and so that's the creation of the Mankind character yep. with the leather mask and all that. Yeah, he's like, how many characters is he? It was Mankind, Dude Love, well, and, Actress Jack, bang, bang. And then as Jim Ross started to do these vignettes interviewing Mick Foley, Mick Foley was actually you know, playing Mankind, putting in real aspects of his life. And Mick Foley actually had saved, when he was a little kid, doing backyard wrestling on mattresses, mm -hmm. this character called Dude Love. Oh, and they, I like Dude Love. They realize that, okay, we have to let Mick Foley be Mick Foley. And I love, I can't remember what year, but it was a Royal Rumble where he runs in his Cactus Jack, gets thrown over the top rope, <laughs> and then a few him. people later he runs in as Dude Love, <laughs> dude love. and then he runs in as Mankind. It's, it was just brilliant. That's brilliant, didn't it? Yeah. And it's the stories of how those guys end up being a big deal it, it all comes down to that sometimes that X factor, that charisma you can't quite, yeah. but also being able to communicate body language and a great promo. But you know what was good about him, too? He wasn't one of these pretty boys. He wasn't right. a weightlifter or anything. Everybody just loved him. Right. Oh, he's just very compelling. He's still great. He loves Santa. Oh. Like, he, he, does, he did this whole documentary on becoming Santa, grew out his beard. And what was that one character? Who was those characters? That used to, remember Doink the Clown? Yes. <laughs> How many other characters played clowns? Oh. There's a couple others, too. I mean, there are so many ideas they've thrown out there. It's Some of them are just Didn't embarrassing. Didn't an insane clown posse show up at some point? They had an insane clown posse. A yeah. Oh, that's right. Yep. Um, that's right. Do you remember Mantar? No, no. He's half man, half beast, and he would come out to the ring with <laughs> no. this huge, like, buffalo head on, like a mascot thing. Just like, it's Mantar. No, Nick Foley had his ear ripped off. Uh, his oh, left ear, that's why I he had the hair all over his That's right. By, uh, it happened in Germany. Yeah. He would do this spot where we'd flip over the rope, and the ropes mm. would tie him up yep. and Ooh. catch him, like, right around his neck. And right. it, like, caught his ear. Yep. And then it didn't completely rip it off. Then he got back in the ring, and big... Van Vader. Literally, you can see. I remember that. Yeah, he had the mask on. Yeah, yeah it's rubber. on yeah. film. He ripped off Mick Foley's ear. It's yeah. just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I can't unsee that. And speaking of another mask with Vader, apparently he never washed that thing and, and never washed his gloves, so people hated working uh, with him. And he was a little rough in the ring, too. <laughs> like, it's just, I love this crap because it's like a whole world to dive into. All sorts well, a lot of my friends stories. asked me about it, and my girlfriend asked me. She goes, "Why do you watch this guy?" I said, "It's my man, so proper. Let me watch it." There you go. <laughs> there you go. You know, you got a little story. You got to have a good storyline. But you know who's my best mass stalker? I was up. You know, I'm a I'm Florida undergrad, and we went up to watch to play Michigan up there at the Mercedes Dome. You know, go blue. And and uh, go ahead. That's all. That's fine. Your coach is going away anyway. Okay. So the next thing I know, man, we score an interception, a, a pick six, right? I take two peers like Steve Austin. I crush them together. I pour them over my head and chug them in the name of Steve Austin, man. Nice. Steve Austin would talk some smack. Oh, yeah. I think I've got the clip saved here of uh, him talking smack to Donald Trump. Was he Austin Idol before he became? No. No. No, he was uh, Stunning Steve Austin. Stunning, yes. Yeah. The Hollywood Blondes. That's right. And t until he shaved it off and became, you know, hardcore, stone cold, and the stunner came along. I mean, he was a legend and a mate. And I used to love it when he pulled that. One time, was it one of the matches, a uh, pay-per-view? He pulls in a truck, and it's and it's got a hose, and it's just pumping beer out, and the whole audience is getting soaked with beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. they pulled the uh, truck, and then there was one with the Zamboni, and then Kurt Angle did Oh, the did Zamboni the, was great. Uh, Kurt Angle did the same spot, but it was a, with a milk truck because he's an Olympian. <laughs> like, you know, another one I missed, too, is uh, the Million Dollar Man. 
Oh, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, everybody's uh, got a price. And remember Virgil? His his yeah. I'm sorry, is a was it Virgil? Yeah. No, Ted DiBiase is uh, Vince McMahon. <laughs> Apparently, that character, the idea of everybody has a price. He Vince was on an airplane. And some guy, this is back when you could smoke on the airplanes, and some guy right next to him or right behind him was smoking a cigarette. Vince McMahon, how much do I need to give you to put that cigarette out for the rest of the flight? You do a good imitation, Joey. And, well, I wish I could do an even better one, but, uh, and oh, yeah. the guy's like, I'm not, a, $100? And I'm like, nah. And then it was some ridiculous figure, like, here's 300 bucks, now put your <laughs> cigarette out, pal. And it's wow. just, the, the stories are plentiful from that world. I mean, that's what that business is. It's a bunch of storytelling and yeah. traveling around the country. Crazy stuff. I know. It's, it's, and, you know, and it's it's purely sports entertainment and everything. But I well, tell you one, John Cena needs to get rid of that and go back to his flat top high and tight. No, nah, I like the silly long-haired Cena, the Hollywood Cena. Oh, it's God. Funny. He looks like a dork. <laughs> it's time to grow up. Well, I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate the call, Soldier Boy. And stay right, listening. I'm going to play the uh, Stone Cold promo he cut against Donald Ooh, Trump. Oh, yeah, but a macho man. appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. No, have you heard this before? I have not. This is back in the early 2000s where Donald Trump did a thing in WWE called Battle of the Billionaires. Yeah. And I think it was going to be Stone Cold is the special guest referee. Uh, and Trump's wrestler was like Bobby Lashley. I can't remember who Vince's proxy was. Oh, so they didn't actually wrestle. They they got other wrestlers to wrestle. Right. Like, they had their wrestlers as proxies. They were like the managers, okay. the, the backers of this. And uh, they're doing this whole, like, promo. And Stone Cold is going to be the special guest referee. And Trump and him are in the ring right together. And I'm thinking that's where this starts. You know, Donald, I don't think you and me have been formally introduced yet. My Love name's Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're standing in my ring. If you're standing in my ring, what I say goes. Do you understand that? You don't have to answer that because I hope you understand that. That's a good-looking tie you got there. You doing okay? Look a little stiff. Glad to have you here. You know, lately, Donald, I've been seeing you on a little TV show, and all of the only thing you got to say is telling people you're fired. Let me tell you something. You're not going to tell Stone Cold Steve Austin he's fired because he don't work for you. He's never going to work for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think it's only fair that you give a man fair warning, so I'm going to break it down to you like this. Not only in this ring, don't get under my skin. (laughs) Don't rub me the wrong way. Mm. Don't ruffle my feathers. Basically, long story short, I'm telling you not to piss me off. (laughs) Because if you do piss me off, I'll whip your ass. They're face to face. Now look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> because I've done my research on you. I don't give a rat's ass if you're worth a billion dollars, two billion dollars, three billion dollars, four billion dollars, five billion dollars, six billion dollars, seven billion dollars, eight billion dollars. You piss me off, I'll open up an eight billion dollar can of whoop ass and serve it to you. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> that is one of the most famous wrestlers in wrestling history, talking to the now president of the United States. Yep. It was before he was president. Yes, quite a few years before. It's just bizarre, though, yeah. to be able to go back and grab footage like that. Exactly. Have you seen uh, Stone Cold in um, Grown Ups 2? No, I haven't oh. seen I don't think I've seen Grown Ups 2. Grown Ups 2. It's, I would have uh, recognized You know, Adam Sandler, you know, one of the... Right. It's, the not so great movies anymore that he makes, but Stone Cold's in there, a whole bunch of little cameos and stuff like that. It's pretty funny. See, but I think Adam Sandler's got a good thing going where he's not even expected to make a good movie anymore. He's but, just getting paid by Netflix. Exactly. And you just watch. Seth Rogen did this. Uh, not Seth Rogen. Uh, McFarlane? Uh, not who's the guy that has the, the annoying laugh? Uh, Jimmy Carr? Uh, Seth. Um, uh, is the guy with the beard all in the pot smoking movie? No, that's Seth Rogen. Is it Seth Rogen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, he, you know, he he just signed a big Netflix deal like that to where he just makes any not so great movie. It's a sweet gig, and it does make me wonder how long. Like tonight, there's this big presidential address. Yeah, makes me wonder how long these networks, because they were being criticized by the president's critics for even carrying the presidential address, uh, and. I wonder how long the legacy networks will continue to have cloud. I think for several years, but everything's moving to the internet now. It makes you wonder. Well, now it's just going to any um, John Doe or Jane Doe to where whatever they post on Twitter or anything like that. It's it's all about being first. I'm not worried about getting it correct. 
Exactly. And that's a bad... I mean, I've actually worked for some of those folks on the side, like wrote stuff for them, and I realized how... This because you work behind the scenes, you see how the sausage is made, folks. On most of these political sites where you're getting your news, because I saw how that process worked, yeah. I can see the whole back end of the site, my own articles, other people's articles, how yeah. the editors would work with us. A lot of it was copy paste from mm-hmm. other sources. That's a lot of so-called journalism these days. A lot of people that never get off their butt leave their. And I admit, I'm a talker. I sit on my butt and I talk all day. I'm not a journalist out there investigating, but it's just a good warning that you really should take everything you read, even if it seems plausible and you agree with it with a big grain of salt. Well, that's what the net networks are doing. Anything that anybody posts on the AP, they're taking it as a solid source, and right. it's not a solid source. The story about a story. Yeah. That whole trick. And it, it's, I, I don't know, like, have you found, you follow the news pretty closely, or you, not it's closely, in the background? Not closely as I used to, because it's... It's so convoluted. I, mm-hmm. So you try to get it from a whole bunch of different sources to try to get the right picture. To where I saw something on Twitter the other day where um, Gingsburg said something in the 70s about um, uh, an inappropriate subject and stuff like that. So one side's taken as like, oh my gosh, she supports this. And then it's like, well, no, if you read it, it doesn't say that. But the way that she worded it right. does sound like that. But, oh, no. But it's a battle going on for 40 years. And then it comes up every couple of years when some, you know, one side wants to say something against the other well, side. Well, it's point scoring. It is. It's, uh, it's, they're, wor- they're, they're worried about the ratings. They're worried about getting that tip. And it's like, hey, just report what the news is and let everybody else decide. Hopefully, we haven't come so numb to the situation to where we can make our own you know, our, our, you know, make our own, what am I trying to think of? Decision. Decision. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I've been telling myself. It's what I've been trying to get across to a lot of the audience is like tonight, we're just hanging out and chatting and yeah. enjoying ourselves. But even if it's a serious news topic, the best thing, all Americans of all political stripes, whatever persuasion you, you hold, uh, is use your independent mind. Yes. There is a lot of conformity, peer pressure, pressure to you know conform to the right yeah. opinion as opposed to just really being free to talk out loud, to think out loud, and to and not make have, mistakes. And not have the repercussions where somebody's going to jump on you or, right. oh my gosh, I got unfriended because I said something somebody didn't like. Right. But I, I really don't like what the news is doing now, and it's a small thing to where... Uh, ABC and NBC, I, you know, Christmas break, you have off, spending time with my kids. Sure. Hi, Jack Heath. Hi, you know, <laughs> hi, Kristen. So I spend time with them to where I watch the morning news, you know, Today Show and, you know, CBS to where they say Mr. Trump. Yeah. It's not Mr. Trump. It's, it, you know, if you like it or if you don't like it, it's the, the president. You don't have to say his last name, but you say the president said this. Don't say Mr. Trump because from when I grew up, that's – no, it doesn't matter who it is. Right. You know, I, I went in the Marine Corps when Clinton was in office and all that fun stuff was going on. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't matter if you agree with him or not. You know, you, you're still going in there and it's still the president. The like, like or hate doesn't matter. It's not Mr. Trump. Right. Well, that and is. And you're reporting on a news about the White House. Oh, Mr. Trump just said that. No, you're at the White House reporting outside the White House. Right. It's the president. It's the, said it, it this. doesn't matter. You, you did it with um, President Obama. You did it with everybody else. But now all of a sudden, yeah, let me do a little slap in the face over it's here. It's interesting, though, the history of that word. Like, I think there was this whole debate about what do we call the chief executive? Yeah. What do we call the what we now call the president? And people like John Adams wanted to have like his excellency, the yeah. high king, or they wanted some regal over the top title to show the other nations of earth that this is guys on par with you. Yeah. He's not, you know, it's not hereditary, he didn't take it by conquest, but you know, we've duly elected him, he's on the same level. And what a lot of the people at that early founding decided on was no, we need to find the most boring name ever, <laughs> the most boring title ever, so they decided I'm president. But what's happened over the last 200 years, because of some very rich history, the president has now taken on this This august, this very, you say the president of the United States. Yeah. It is a, a very formal, important title, to where now every 
crackpot dictator in the world calls themselves president because yeah. they want to be on par El Presidente. with the American presidency. And it actually leads me to something, uh, we got to hit a break, but something that got me going, got me hot Uh-oh. earlier this morning about the shutdown. And say what you will about the shutdown, especially if you're a federal worker. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating not to get paid. Yeah. But uh, this was a little over the top, this article I ran across by a guy named George Packer. I like Mr. Packer when yeah. it comes to uh, talking about George Orwell. Yeah, We're both big fans of George Orwell, but he talked about his uh, trip to D.C. with his family. going to see the monuments and, well, his take on the government shutdown and what it might mean for our nation's a little over the top, and I kind of want to respond to it. <laughs> okay. We'll see what how it goes. We'll be right back, folks. Joey Clark. Joey Clark. Welcome back, folks. Hola. What are we listening to? It's something I met in college. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is me rocking out in my room. Just doodling my guitar, diddling my guitar. Just, you know. My family around. wasn't listening other than rocking out with your... <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to this uh, this article, and just the first paragraph shows like how over the top Mr. George Packer is here. Mm -hmm. And like you like you said, you served. um, You're taught to respect the office no matter who's the president. And uh, in a way, I obviously like if I met the president of the United States, Trump or Obama, I would be respectful. Respectful, yes. Yeah, because you're, you're not going to go there throw paint on them or go hey, you know, you know. When oh, there you there know. are only so many people living right now who have even occupied that office, the presidential chair. Yeah. It's uh, awesome responsibility. Jimmy so, Carter's going to outlive them all. Probably. <laughs> it's well, cuz he's so soft spoken. Hey. Yeah, I like peanuts. <laughs> but here's George Packer talking about recently, but here's the 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 title of this article the suicide of a great democracy uh, the greek one the roman <laughs> one or he's not specific well, here's the subheading okay a shutdown looks like the beginning of the end that lincoln always knew was possible wow We had made plans to go to Washington weeks ago, and there was no way to change the trip. The train was almost empty when it pulled into Union Station on Friday night. The next morning, we went out into the dead heart of the city. The government shutdown was in its third week. Nearly all the museums that would have interested the kids were closed, and so were the ones that would have bored them. There was nothing to do except wander around, but the crowds we expected in the district center were absent, the streets and sidewalks almost empty. Without people, the scale of the capital dwarfed us. Each mid-century concrete building looked like its own walled city. The National Mall was a vast plain, and an endless highway separated the White House and the Capitol Dome. It was as if Washington had been stricken by a grotesque illness that caused the body to swell up and suffocate the spirit within. The federal city was one great sarcophagus. Wow. A little over the top. No, just a little. And so he goes on to essentially say that Lincoln warned about us losing our sense of self-government. Yeah. My humble suggestion to Mr. Packard here is that what we do now, when the government is partially shut down or completely open, whether great... I've been to the museums. The Library of Congress is my favorite. I lived there for 12 years. It's a beautiful city, especially those parts of town. It's even beautiful when people aren't there. I'd imagine... (laughs) Like, what he's describing sounds amazing. I'm sorry. If you get on a train in D.C. and you go down there, it was like it was empty. Oh, my God. Nobody's rubbing up on you? Yay! You you don't have to let a woman sit down and you have to stand up for an hour (laughs) to get downtown? 
That is prime real estate, my friend. You know, no matter how equal the sex has become, I don't think they're ever giving up that privilege. Women and children first. <laughs> I'm not not asking for it. Not asking for men first. But he, he talks about self-government required that the union should live. Lincoln never believed in political and social equality of the races. This actually is true. Mm-hmm. But he realized in order to preserve the union, we must end slavery. Yeah. And good for it. And Lincoln made the fantastic point that self-government is fine, but more than self-government to govern somebody else, like chattel slavery. That's more than self-government. That's despotism. Yes. Of course. Now, thank God we don't have chattel slavery anymore, though it still weirdly affects our politics. Like, there's still weird arguments over that history. But I look at what our current government does, partially shut down or completely open, and I'm like, it seems like it's a little bit more than self-government. Yeah. Like, it seems like we're always governing other people's stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the prime thing of, like, the the shutdown right now, right? Because they want to give, what, 10 plus billion to foreign aid? Right. Uh, Okay, cool. But then everybody else that's saying, hey, you know, we're going to give this foreign aid to other countries. Well, we can spend that $5 billion on the homeless. We can spend this $5 billion on this. Well, why aren't they putting those into the laws now? I mean, go, hey, you know what? We're going to stop foreign aid for a year, year and a half. You know, we'll help the countries that really need it. But, you know, we're, you know, we got to, let's worry about ourselves. You know, let's, you know, let's be selfish for a little bit. Right. And also, it reminds me of another writer uh, named Alexis de Tocqueville, you know, the democracy in America. He's this French guy. He kind of lied to the French authorities. I'm going to go do a review of American prisons. Uh, Can you fund my trip? And they did. But really, he was just researching democracy. What was his newfound experiment? And he warned about, here's how, in Tocqueville's opinion, a free people could end up enslaved or end up under a tyranny. Again, that word enslaved because of chattel slavery, maybe the wrong word, but end up under tyranny, Mm -hmm. a despotism. And what he called it was soft despotism. It wouldn't be like ancient tyrants of old. It wouldn't even be like Kim Jong-un in North Korea or what even is going on in China. It would be, though, that the government demands and nudges and winks and nods and taxes and subsidizes almost every aspect of people's lives to where, no, it's not self-government. And the one line that always sticks with me, and I'm paraphrasing here, Tocqueville said that it's not treating people like full-grown men or women or human beings, but it's almost like a parent to a child, the government's role of government to citizen, except the parent is trying to keep the child in perpetual childhood. Yeah. And that's how I worry what our government does sometimes. It's gone beyond the call of, of self-government and enforcing rights and making sure, you know, questions of war and peace, the big questions. Yeah. And it's gone to micromanaging almost every aspect of our lives. And just because we vote, we still call it self-government. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're too young. Do you re- um, Ross Perot. Oh, I do remember. Okay, so that was you know that was the time when I was in high school and they're running for you know president. And that was the main reason why Republicans lost that year because Perot took those bo- votes away from Bush. Well, Perot, I mean, and you got to remember too, to where Saturday Night Live that was the height of it all, right. to where Dana Carvey played two people. So good. You know, he gets on the little ele- escalator to where it rises them up at the podium to be Perot. But Perot's big thing was like. You know what? You know, we need to save money. We need to do this. And he was very strict to where, you know what? Lights out at 7 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's everybody going to know when to get up? Well, we're going to have a big horn. It's going to go across the whole country, and everybody's going to get up at the same time. <laughs> it's stuff like that to where, I mean, you know, if you want to micromanage, micromanage. But, you know, we were for the people by the people, not right. for the government to make sure that every minute detail of what we do and to where, oh, the government can't do this, can't do this. And it's like... Okay, cool. We're not going to do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean you're not going to do that? What are, what are we supposed to do now as a state? Right. Or what are we supposed to do now as a local? Right. You know, more and more responsibility, I think, is being taken away from voluntary, like institutions people make. And yeah. it's being given up to be managed, or at least it may not always be micromanaging, but regulated to death and all sorts of special privileges handed out to certain classes of people, certain companies and industries. Well, the insurance company is a big one right now to where you, they, they give you a little chip and then they can go, oh, you could, you're going to lose. We'll reduce your rates because you're a safe driver. Well, but they're monitoring you. 
and I also love alternative history, and I would hope that somebody like George Packard, the guy who wrote this, would understand some of this history. But Lincoln, like Lincoln's great achievement is ending slavery in this country. I mean, there's an interesting study, though, that places like the British Empire and others that ended slavery by means other than war, there was actually more social integration of the races quicker. Yeah. And when it ended in war, like in the United States and a few other places, it you got things like Jim Crow. You There was more resentment pent up from uh, yeah. the failed war effort, the successful war effort. But there's aspects of Lincoln that I think have beyond the legacy of freeing, uh, the nation cannot survive, you know, half slave, half free. Yeah. There's other legacies that I think go unnoticed sometimes. And it's a warning as I watch, you know, anybody who praises a president too much. It's one thing to have due respect, call somebody President yeah. Trump. It's another thing when somebody starts, they can do no wrong, whether it was President Trump or President Obama. And then also when oh. I see young folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, I'm a radical, like Lincoln or FDR. No, you know, she's, uh, I'm not going to get on that subject because it just, it, it irritates me. You know, because at 29, I thought I knew everything. Well, yeah. Now at 43, I know I know nothing. Well, what's the old line? The young know everything, the middle-aged suspect everything, and the old believe everything? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Oscar Wilde. But there's a um, there's an alternative. I love alternative takes on history. Mm -hmm. And one, I don't agree with his politics completely, is Gore Vidal. He was the guy who used to spar with William F. Buckley Jr. in the 60s. Okay. And they, there's a great documentary, I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix, called Best of Enemies. And it, they had this famous moment at the 68 Democratic Convention where they're mm -hmm. arguing. And really good stuff. A great documentary. But Gore Vidal did this whole series, it's up on YouTube now, called The American Presidency. Mm -hmm. And his theme is that the republic was set up to, for you know, commercial activity to protect individual rights. And he thinks that the number one mistake they made, the, I think, bronze fabric or bronze thread in the Constitution that allowed for tyranny mm -hmm. and something that Lincoln jumped on, is using this term commander-in-chief to an extent I don't think the founders or George Washington, the first commander-in-chief, imagined. No. And I mean, because I mean, the whole thing for commander-in-chief is because you're over the military. Right. It wasn't everything else. I mean, the president's there to be, okay, the House and the Senate, they're not working together. I'm the tiebreaker guy. I'm, I'm the guy that goes in there and goes, okay, this is what, you know, this is what needs to happen. But if you're sitting back wondering, why was Obama to get away with so much with a pen and a phone? Why is Trump able to do so much? Even Trump in the Rose Garden last week was talking about man, we can get away with a lot. Maybe I shouldn't have so much yeah. power. How did presidents get so much power? A lot of that's after FDR and World War II and the National Security State, but it starts with Lincoln. I have a clip here from this Vidal, the okay. American presidency thing, and this one quote from when Lincoln was younger um, is fascinating, but Vidal kind of sets it up and then gives the quote. Recent biography makes much of Lincoln's remark, I have not shaped events, Events have shaped me. This gives us a new passive Lincoln, a wealthy railroad lawyer suddenly made inept commander-in-chief of the first great modern war. Of course, events control everyone, including imperial presidents. But at the center of Lincoln, there is an ambition that is unlike that of any of his fellows. Also unlike them, he reveals himself at the age of 29 in a speech, a soliloquy, at Springfield, Illinois. Hold on. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, 29? Yeah. You thought we know everything at 29? Yeah. Listen, folks, to what Lincoln said at the age of 29. And as Vidal says, he really does reveal himself. First, he speaks of the Founding Fathers with polite admiration. But, he said, always the butt. New reapers will arise, and they too will seek a field. And when they do, the question then is, can that gratification be found in supporting and maintaining an edifice that has been erected by others? Most certainly it cannot. Thus Lincoln warns us against Lincoln. 
Many great and good men would aspire to nothing beyond the presidential chair. But such belong not to the family of the lion or the tribe of the eagle. What think you these places would satisfy an Alexander, a Caesar, or a Napoleon? Never. Towering genius disdains a beaten path. It seeks regions hitherto unexplored. It thirsts and burns for distinction, and if possible, it will have it, whether at the expense of emancipating slaves or enslaving free men. That was Lincoln. It's pretty over-the-top flowery language. That's essentially the idea is, yeah, the founders were great. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't want to be some steward, some caretaker of a presidential chair that, you know, I belong to the tribe of the lion and the eagle. I belong in the same part of the history books as Caesar and Alexander. And if it's not me, it'll be somebody else who will come along and aspire to more than just being president. And that's exactly what Lincoln did in many cases. Yeah. He reshaped the Union and his image and did things that... Beyond just winning the war, suspended habeas corpus, locked up reporters in the North, yeah. brought up troops without congressional consent. But then it's not just Lincoln. It's all sorts of presidents. You know, Teddy Roosevelt did similar things. It's not about what the Constitution says the government can do. It's whatever it says we can't do. I mean, FDR went beyond these things. And in my mind, there's been a slow progression of... Any questioning of the the power of, in particular, the presidency, again, I'm all for giving due respect, but I think it should be respect in the sense that the like the people argue what John Adams said. Presidents should be sort of bean counters. They should be the guy yeah. who you know faithfully executes the laws of the United States. And what they've become are kind of these very popular figures that stretched the intent and meaning of our founding documents. And so when I see like a young Alexander Ocasio-Cortez or I see Obama or even Trump sort of using the power of the executive, whether it's in war or here in domestic, well, I get a little worried. They're, they're going to do it as long as nobody slaps their hand. Exactly. They're, you know, they're going to go, hey, you know, I'm getting this, get this up. Oh, nobody's saying anything, so let me see how far he can go. And this is actually why I, the one thing I really love about President Trump mm -hmm. is that, in a way, he's demystifying the, uh, the over-the-top nature, the pomp and circumstance of the presidency. Some of it's definitely still there. Yeah. I mean, there's just cool stuff around the White House. Like Dan Morris was telling me, you know how that Marine knew to open the door? Yeah. Uh, because there's a mirror that you can't see on the column that shows, oh, who's coming down the hallway. Yeah. So even it, it's just cool little <laughs> things like that. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm not worried about that sort of pomp and circumstance. But I do worry that the people who should be smacking their hands, the people, yeah. sometimes are way too ready to go, yeah, because I like a certain thing you're going to do, go ahead, Mr. President, even yeah. though it might be uh, might be stretching the intent of our, our founding foundational laws. It's And then going back to this article by Packard, there's something about, oh, Trump's allowing the shutdown. And it might be the suicide of our democracy now. And, and, and he goes back to what is essentially, Vidal puts it this way. He says Lincoln is our Caesar. Because right after Lincoln does all this stuff, he's, he's killed. He's martyred, yeah. essentially. And who doesn't cite Lincoln? It's Trump and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> Both love Obama. Everybody loves to bring up Lincoln. Yeah. And it's, it's a certain point where you're like, are we talking about an actual guy who existed or somebody historians have sort of elevated? Are we talking mm -hmm. about a real thing or are we talking about something that's sort of... Now, I, I, I just get a little too worried when we get... And, and so I enjoy Trump sort of being a straight shooter, bringing the presidency yeah. down back to earth a little bit. Though... I w if I'm advising okay. the president, don't call a national emergency. No, it, it's not. It's not a national emergency. Uh, it's an emergency, but I don't think it's on a national level to where, right. you know, how many people are coming in from Canada? It's right. Like, it's no. too cold up there. You no. know, anybody can fly on a plane and come down from They're there. They're so nice. But Oh, they are. 
what are you talking about? <laughs> but um, I lost my train of thought now. But um, it's more along the lines of, all right, he's bringing it down. And, you know, what are the Democrats going to do when they get elected next? Right. Are, are they going to, is the media going to elevate it? To where, oh my gosh, we got to go back up to this stature because President Obama did this and right. he was on Ellen, he was on Oprah, he was all on this. And Trump was just, you know, hey, I'm not taking a paycheck, I'm just going to get stuff done because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's, done, he's doing it in a very, and I'll probably get in trouble for this, but a non-tactful way. Oh, he's all over the place. He's, he's to where, you know, and I, I think if he was a little bit, you know, he's never going to be reserved or anything like that. <laughs> There's no chance in heck. But um, I said, heck, not hell, because of my kids. <laughs> but, um, no, it's, it's just to where, you know, if you know, if he didn't, if he wasn't on Twitter, you know, how would everybody be reacting to him? They, w- they would have to wait to a news conference. But, you know, he's doing 50, twi- you know, 50 tweets a night going blah, 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 well, blah. And it's, it's almost like it, it should be a lesson. Anybody who gets upset by Trump, President Trump doing that stuff, I think needs to realize... And it's something I've said during Obama's years, that it, he won't be president forever. Yeah. Like, think about how much power this this office has, and so we should limit it, because at some point it might be the worst guy ever who gets yeah. it. Well, and I also think, too, to where Trump's very smart in the way to where, hey, I'm going to tweet about this. But then I'm going to go over here and do something over here oh, like yeah. that. Well, and there is some uh, method to his madness. Yeah. He's I mean, like, oh, you know, oh, diversion. Yeah, well, and the, <laughs> the fire and fury and calling Kim Jong-un a fat rocket man or rocket, something like yeah. that. I mean, they now met and shook hands. It seems like there's some progress on the Korean Peninsula. So yeah. maybe there's so some... Maybe it translated differently when they went over there. Well, like, and oh, that's, yeah, I got rockets. That's what I've always hoped is that Trump would be a chaotic good. That yeah. he's not... He's not going to be like old presidents, I think, to his credit. And hopefully that sort of that energy, as Kanye called that dragon energy, yeah. <laughs> uh, has a positive effect on the nation. At least, And it might not be just you know getting his campaign promises done. It could be how people react to it. Though I'm looking at the Democrats running the House now, and I'm not, uh, not hopeful. I, you, know, you got Pelosi back in charge. So oh, that's, I mean, day. that's somebody that's, all she's worried about is getting her seat back. And getting all that retirement money that goes to her family and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Well, Chris, it was good seeing you. We're out of time. Dude, great 